You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Good morning. Uh, you might notice very quickly that there aren't any other voices or noises in the background of this recording. That's because we had a, a technical hitch in our recording of the live message this morning. So this is a, a recorded message, um, but we felt that it was particularly necessary to balance out the message from last week. The two come in two parts. And so that's what this message is today, recorded in my office at home. Now, a few weeks back, we were in a series as a church uh, looking at the armor of God, looking at the spiritual battle that we are in as believers. And uh, you might remember that there was one particular day where I took, uh, I borrowed Ross's police uniform and I was able to put that on as part of the message. I mean, that was amazing. I really enjoyed it, particularly like his his stab vest. I mean, it just felt so amazing to wear that. And I was like ready to go out and arrest everybody in the church because you just feel like you've got that kind of authority when you wear the uniform. You know, wearing it literally changed it's the way that you feel having some form of protection around you can change your behavior entirely but that can be quite misleading to our hearts as well another example of that is paintballing I mean I love paintballing I used to go out do it a lot it seemed that every stag do or birthday for the guys that I was with it would end up being like a paintball fest which was amazing but I learned some things over the time to protect yourself to armor yourself so here's a couple of quick tips right Firstly, wear extra layers. I mean, that really helps. Even if it's a baking hot day, you know, wear a big woolly jumper because that's going to absorb some of the impact of those paintballs when they hit you. Uh, Tip number two, borrow a cricket box. Actually, don't borrow one because that's gross but like get yourself a cricket box um you know and 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 use it but it's amazingly useful thing and the very first game i ever played where i did have a cricket box that i used uh, the first shot of the game went well exactly there and i was so thankful for having that there and then the third tip is this that if you can't get your hands on a, a cricket box like just use a few nappies strategically stuffed into your clothing around because it's amazing how much impact those things can take and then the fourth tip is this the shameless use of a well-selected friend and by well-selected I mean a big guy all right there's somebody that you could use as a shield to kind of hide behind and the thing is armor can make you feel like invulnerable untouchable that you can kind of do as you please that you can roam around the battlefield however you want without the risk of getting hurt that you can do so with impunity and then the thing with grace is it's not like armor it works quite differently. So before I get into that, let's just recap. We've been in the book of Philippians for the last uh, three weeks now, and actually we've only got into the first two verses, and the verses read like this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with all the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been connecting with us, you'll know that I've said that Paul opens all 13 of his letters with the words grace to you. And actually, he ends all of those letters with the phrase grace with you. And so last week, we looked at the fact that grace is as a gift to you, like it's unearned, it's undeserved. It's actually a complete gift. 
And the word that Paul uses in this sentence is the word charis, the Greek word charis. is where we get the word charismatic from. And, you know, it strikes me that the truly charismatic church isn't about a focus all on the gifts of the Spirit as much as it's a focus on the grace of God in operation in the church. Now, the thing with grace as a gift to you is that you contribute nothing to it. Yet, on account of Jesus' death and resurrection, you go free. Your debt is wiped. Your sin is forgiven as a gift of grace. Now, today we're going to look at how grace, once received, goes with us, like actively. But remember all the way through this, grace is not like armor. It's actually far more powerful and more purposeful. So let's look at grace with you. Now, in Romans 5, 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith, and listen to this, into this grace in which we now stand. Now, you might know that from the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about it being by grace that we are saved through faith. And so it is by which we are saved, grace, but in which we now stand. So grace is offered, it's given, and when it's received, it stays, it sticks around with power. Acts 4, 33 and 34 say, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. And the other thing about grace is there's enough to help the believer through everything, whatever the situation may be, however frustrating, however fear-inducing, however like difficult the situation, grace is enough even to cover our sin. But Paul is wrestling with this thing that he calls a thorn in his flesh, and he's begging God to, to take it away from him because it's impacting him. It's hurting him in some way. And he asks God to take it away, and God replies to him in 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So grace is enough even through all of Paul's weaknesses and frailties uh, and things like that. And so Paul actually goes on to boast that he's glad about his weaknesses because through them the full power of Christ can be made known. Now this is what grace means to the believer as it goes with the believer. It means power and encouragement. It means endurance and consistency. It means rescue and hope. In every situation, in every trouble, in every hardship and famine, in persecution, and even in sin, grace is enough. Like, grace means that you don't have to work for God's affections. You don't have to perform in order to earn his favor towards you. You don't have to fulfill a ton of religious kind of actions in order to be deemed acceptable in his sight. But what about the demands and the laws of the Old Testament? What about the, the Ten Commandments? What about obeying those laws and the, the, the decree that we should obey those to find life? Well, the thing is, the law proves that we cannot. 
we cannot achieve it. We cannot sustain it. We might be good in some areas, but ultimately we are all going to fail. We're all going to be lawbreakers at some point. And so the law points out this horrible issue, this horrible problem that we cannot earn our salvation. That's why we need grace that is accessed through faith in Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, 20 and 21, Paul says that the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. And really, that's about shining a spotlight on us. And so we know the fullness, we know the breadth of our sin, we know the full depravity of it. But he goes on to say, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, honestly, we could spend an entire message or an entire series just going through these thoughts uh, that Paul talks about in Romans. I'll save that because at some point, no doubt, we will look at the book of Romans in some detail. But here I want you to know and notice that grace is truly amazing. It is powerful and it is sufficient. It has covered our past. It is covering our present moment and it will cover our future. But the thing is, this seems to kind of create a bit of a problem because if grace covers everything, like all of my sin, past, present and future, and if grace increases, the more sin increases, well, then what's to stop me just doing my own thing? Like if sin is a condition and I'm, I'm powerless to overcome it by myself, and if grace is the only access to the remedy to that, why shouldn't I just embrace and indulge all of my fleshly desires and impulses? Why shouldn't I just submit to them because grace is going to cover it, right? I mean, if I can't out-sin grace then what's to stop me taking it? Uh, Thanks, God, for giving me this gift, like wearing it like armor that allows the protection to me as I do so, so that I can do as I please with impunity. But the thing is, grace is not like armor. This is a a misconception here that Paul actually continues to deal with in the book of Romans. He goes on to say, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. And listen to this. He says, we are those uh, who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Grace is not like armor. It does not give the bearer impunity to act as they please. It's not licensed to sin in any way that our flesh pleases. It's not a free pass to do what seems right in our own eyes. Grace works differently. It changes the game completely. It doesn't just cover our bad behavior. This is what grace changes, okay? It changes your status, As Paul's just said in that passage we just read, it changes us from being dead to alive. You know, we were alive to sin and dead to God, but now we're alive to God and therefore dead to sin. It also changes us, therefore, from being an orphan to being an heir, from being a villain to being valued, from being unable to being able. 
Grace also raises the bar so where we can look at the law, we can look at the Old Testament and uh, we can look at the Ten Commandments and we can say, right, here's things that I can tick off. Like I haven't committed murder. Boom. I, I've nailed that one. I, I haven't committed adultery. Therefore, like I can put a big tick next to that one. But then we get to this phrase that says, do not covet. And the thing is, things like murder and adultery, well, they're practical outworkings. You've either done it or you haven't. But the thing with coveting, it's a heart thing, right? It's it's what your your flesh desires and, and sort of hankers after. You don't have to have an outworking action from that. It's already occurred in the heart. And so when Jesus flips this all around, he says, you've heard it said that you shall not murder. But I tell you, even if you've been angry in your heart with your brother, you've already committed murder. You know, grace really reveals the heart of sin and it covers us but it raises the bar so it's not just about trying to hit these rules and regulations and boom I've done it it recognizes I cannot I need help the next thing that grace does is it equips you to do what you could not do in your own strength grace is power for living that's what sufficient means and listen, this is really important. Holiness, we talk a lot about holiness. Uh, and as we should, really, we should be a holy, a set apart people. But holiness is not a requirement of grace. It's a result of grace. We, we don't earn God's grace by being holy, but by receiving his grace, it transforms us from within and makes us holy. And it makes us hunger after holiness. And that's the final point, that grace like works from within. It will always have an outworking effect on the true recipient of grace. Grace doesn't coat the outside, rather it changes the inside. Grace changes me, it shifts something deep inside of me. Uh, and though in my flesh, honestly, I still wrestle with sin. And that's actually a better word to use than enjoy, which is a word I used last week. I don't think we always enjoy sin. Sometimes I think we do, to be honest. But other times we're entrapped, we're ensnared, we're, we are like sucked into it and we'd rather get out of it. And that's why wrestle is a better word. So in my flesh, I might wrestle with sin, but in my spirit, I detest it. I wage war against it. I want to put it to death in my flesh because my hunger, my heart, my desire, my passion is to serve Christ and see his life outworking in me. Here's the thing. Grace will transform you and it will keep transforming you. And if it hasn't and if it doesn't, then I think you probably need to ask the question, have I received it? Or do I understand it? Because I think you can receive grace and not quite get it. You're saved, you're secure, but you don't quite understand how God's grace works. Like understanding and accepting grace, it changes the way that you read scripture. Like it comes alive and the Holy Spirit will speak to you through that Accepting grace changes the way that you pray. It changes the way that you carry yourself. It changes the way you behave. It'll change the way you speak. It'll change the way that you treat other people. Grace changes everything from within forever. 
It's an ongoing transformation. Grace poured in will also be poured out of your life. Your outlook, your worldview, your character, your behavior, all transformed and continuing to be transformed. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians 1. Paul says, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. Holiness, right? We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. That's such a big point right there. Not our knowledge, not our worldly wisdom, not our putting all our ducks in a row and trying to be the holy person, but relying upon God's grace to do that work from within. And so grace on you and in you should be evidential. People should be able to see it in you. And now there are two kind of problematic characters that get a bit confused uh, around grace or misunderstand grace. These two characters are at opposite ends of like a a spectrum. The, The two of these, the first one is those attempting to justify themselves by adherence to the law, like trying to prove themselves holy. And then those on the other end of the spectrum are those who consider themselves to have license on account of God's grace. Like, I can do whatever I want to do because grace covers it all. Like both ends of the spectrum. Those who adhere to law, those who adhere to license, they both misunderstand and abuse grace horrifically. They can still even be saved, and yet they can be people who are misunderstanding and misrepresenting God's grace. So let's look at these two. Let's look at the law people first of all. You know, these kind of people, they end up, their their pathway really leads towards this, towards being sour, legalistic, self-righteous, unforgiving, entitled because hey i've earned it right i god you should give me credit because i've i've been good enough i've done all this in your name Uh, they become demanding like they are joy killers and it's all about appearance and performance it's all about what i can do for you god to prove myself worthy or to prove myself to be a good christian or something like that those are law people now chuck swindle in his book grace awakening talks about these joy killers within the church and he compares those who are free in grace with those who are bound in legalism and self-righteousness he says this okay of, of these joy killers, he says, they kill freedom, spontaneity, and creativity. They kill joy as well as productivity. They kill with their words and with their pens and their looks. They kill with their attitudes far more often than with their behavior. There is hardly a church or Christian organization or Christian school or missionary group or media ministry where such danger does not lurk. He goes on to say these people, the tragedy is they think it's the way they should be. Like they have never known the truth that could set them free. And unfortunately, most don't have a clue what they are missing. Grace people 
in the center and then on the two extremes you have law people and licensed people so licensed people on the flip side of this they end up being selfish because it's all about them right they end up being greedy uncaring perhaps bitter because they don't get what they want sick in heart or with addictions and things like that and ultimately unfulfilled licensed people now both law and licensed people will end up unhappy, disillusioned, enslaved, and unsafe, really, to be around because it is all about me. Either me earning salvation by being such a good model or me having the license to do whatever I want to do because it's all covered anyway. Like, both will have a massive negative impact on the church. But right back in the centre, we've got grace people let's talk about what grace people look like grace people are free they are full of joy they are encouragers they actively seek to encourage people they're servant-hearted they are life givers they are peace bringers they are not looking for contentions they are looking to bring peace and to bring unity in the gospel and in the spirit grace people are growing in the Spirit's fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, and self-control. That's what grace people grow in their lives, and grace people are all about Jesus. So here we are, the attractive church, or the attractive people. It's not about a building, it's not about a program, it's not about how relevant they are to society. It's not about the quality of music or about lights and production or any of that kind of stuff. It's about grace. The truly charismatic church, as I've already said, is not known for its gifts of the spirit. As important as they are in operation, and we believe that, but the truly charismatic church is a church that exudes grace from the very core. Now, the first church I ever went to as a young, saved, uh, newly saved believer was a church where they didn't really do the Holy Spirit stuff as you would in a Pentecostal church. You know, hands only came up to like, the, you know, the three o'clock, nine o'clock position, never went above the shoulders at all. Occasionally you might have a, a bit of a clap along to a song, but that was it. Uh, and they were, in, in a way, they were very afraid and very cautious of the gifts of the Spirit in operation in the church. And yet what this church, and I will love them forever for it and always call them home, they exuded what it meant to live out the love of Christ. They knew what the love of Christ was. They knew what that meant to them, and they knew how to pass that on. And honestly, I would take that type of church over a church that is bouncing off the walls but has no love any day of the week. Grace-filled churches, charismatic churches. So as I wrap this up today... I want you to know that all of the promises of God in Scripture, which are for you in Christ, they have their yes and their amen in Christ. All of those promises are promises of grace. What do I mean by that? That they are given with undeserved, unearned favor, gifts of grace. All of the gifts of the Spirit, they're gifts of grace. And if you accept and comprehend what he has for you, 
you will find that you never have to do more to receive more. It's already yours. Like the full inheritance of the son is already yours. And in the same way, however, if you refuse this gift of grace, well, you can never do more to receive less from him. Like you can't sin more and get less because you've already turned down everything. You've turned down the keys to the kingdom. In effect, you will have locked yourself out in darkness. And so my last question to you is, what will you do with this grace? And what will grace do in you? Grace is a free gift, freely given, undeserved, unearned. Nothing on your account has credited towards that. Only through faith in Jesus Christ, it is a gift of his grace. But that grace is not licensed for you to go off and do your own thing and just claim freedom, freedom, freedom. But that grace, if you've truly received it, will change you from the inside out and will keep changing you. And people will see it written on your face, written in the words that you speak, and written in the way that you live out your life. Grace is sufficient and it will continue to be sufficient, changing, molding and shaping you. Now, if you haven't yet received his grace, can I just encourage you to ask him? If you've never received Jesus into your life, can I just encourage you now to invite him into your life? How do you do that? Well, it's through faith in Jesus and surrender to Jesus. It is to say that I'm going to confess with my mouth that he is the Lord, the one who I will surrender to, but also believe in my heart that God has truly raised him physically from the dead. That is the way that we come to salvation. Faith in Christ, surrender to Christ for the whole of our lives. He died in your place and he lives in your place. So if you feel like a wretch or a reject, a failure or a fraud, sick in the head or sinner in the heart, if you feel like a has been and never been or never will be, there's grace enough for you. It's a free gift and it will keep changing you once you've received it. Bless you guys in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.